Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Heather Bell, Managing Editor of ETF.com, and this is Exchange Traded Fridays a weekly podcast where we discuss the latest events and most pressing issues in the ETF space. I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Samit Roy. Hey, Samit. Hey, Heather. Hey, everyone. And today we're speaking with Lauren Hine, head of advisor relations for RoboGlobal, the issuer of the $1 billion RoboGlobal Robotics and Automation Index ETF, trading under the ticker R-O-B-O. Hi, Lauren. Hi. It's a mouthful, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I had to really think about it. <laughs> yeah, quite a name. Yeah, nice to be here. It's really great to have you with us. Um, how about we just start with the basics? Can you kind of talk about the investment case for the robotics industry as it stands now? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, so Robo, um, the company launched our uh, Robo Global, the company launched Robo, the ETF back in 2013. So um, very early in the thematic ETF space um, and obviously very forward looking with regards to the automation kind of mega trend, as we consider it. Um, Robo is made up of really we can what we consider the total ecosystem of the robotics and automation um, landscape. We have 11 subsectors that we've identified underneath that broad story of automation. And we're fairly unique um, in that the ETF tracks an actively managed index. So I have a team of um, researchers and also some industry experts, like industry leaders, really, in the robotics and automation space. Um, and they meet regularly and they decide kind of what companies... Um, should populate each of those subsectors. We're looking for market leaders. We're looking for technology leaders um, in those specific subsectors. So it's a very thoughtfully created index that Robo, the ETF, actually tracks. Um, but right now, it's a pretty diversified fund. I know a lot of the thematic stuff that has entered the space in the really almost decades since we launched Robo has been more concentrated. But we have 82 companies in the index right now. And like I said, we cover the whole ecosystem of automation. And that really means we've got the companies that are um, doing the implementation of the technology, you know, companies in 3D printing, in food and ag, in, you know, manufacturing and industrial automation, et cetera. And then also the companies with the technology components, that's more computing and AI sensing, you know, we really cover it all within this one ETF. Wow. Um I was wondering, where, how big is the industry now and what are the growth projections for, like, say, the next year? Oh boy. The <laughs> industry now is a really, <laughs> it's a hairy question. Mm -hmm. um, we, I can talk a little bit more about, like, sales growth. So, or growth estimates. Um, robotics industry really gets, it gets broken down into subsector, what we would consider more subsectors a lot. And so people look at, like, 
the warehouse automation space or U.S. robotics or what have you. Um, the, the growth projections as we kind of look at the whole ecosystem of automation and don't try to look at the subsectors, we figure has about a 12 to 13% um, forward growth rate for like the next five years. If I don't know if I want to get pinned down on market size just because the ecosystem is so large. Um, but the growth is um, interesting, sizable, and frankly, still accelerating, which in this macro environment is definitely something to chat about. Gotcha. So um, with the acceleration, where is that kind of acceleration really occurring? Like what's getting the most attention right now? What's getting the most attention right now? I think for us, um, so so robotics and automation solutions are really solving um, some really relevant problems. Inflation is one that we're obviously talking about right now. And then the labor shortages are another one that we're really talking about right now. And automation attacks both of those problems. The biggest auto, the biggest kind of opportunity set for solutions um, feel like logistics automation. And then also um, manufacturing and kind of general industrial automation. Um, if you think about, let's we'll start with like the the um, the maybe warehouse automation, just as a tiny subset of that. There are, by our estimates, not just ours, but some industry estimates, about twenty thousand warehouses in the U.S. and only twenty percent of them are using some level of automation. And I mean any level of automation, down to basic conveyors and like those first generation robots that are just kind of pick it up, move it, put it down all the way down to like autonomous mobile robots zipping around the, the warehouse. So that's a huge opportunity set. Um, and that's just in like warehouse automation. When we think about um, you know, logistics automation and everyone's talked, you know, issues with the supply chain for the last few years, um, e-commerce had explosive growth since the pandemic. And so we've got to get, you know, quickly and efficiently get things from warehouse to warehouse and then also from um, the warehouse to the end user. And we need to do those quickly and efficiently. Um, so automation solutions are attacking that problem constantly. I, if a really fun aside, um, we own a company in Robo called Okado. They're a UK based um, company. Grocery delivery was really one of the kind of last frontiers of e-commerce. And during the pandemic, that kind of got normalized where before I know I was one of the people that was like, I'll go pick the produce. I don't want someone to just choose and then send it to my house. Now we like our groceries to be delivered. Um, Okado is helping solve the kind of grocery delivery issue with these grocery warehouses. Um, they're called the Hive. They call it the Okado Hive. Um, thousands of bots inside these warehouses moving around on a 3D system. And they call the robots the swarm. The swarm is controlled by AI, um, like an air traffic control system. Super cool YouTube videos if people want to spend like a couple of minutes lost in this. But um, it's it's so fun. These things are, um, the, the, the swarm, if you will, these little robots are zipping around the grid they communicate with the AI air traffic control system 10 times a second, and they are moving about eight miles an hour, five millimeters apart. So they can pick a 50 item order in under five minutes 
They can pick multiple orders at the same time. They can send it down the line and that thing, those groceries are on the truck and headed to your house quickly. And those are automation solutions that don't feel super obvious, um, but problems that we are, you know, actively attacking in the automation space. Are are, are things like those little tidy robots actually in use now? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'd have to go check. Ocado announced a partnership with Kroger recently. I know they've got a warehouse facility going up in the Denver area. Um, one's coming in in the Dallas Metroplex where I live. So they're, they're, they're already being used in the UK and probably there are some here, but they're expanding, um, in partnerships with, with grocery store chains. Maybe ultimately you think about if you have an Amazon Prime account and everything gets shipped to you quickly. Well, why shouldn't Kroger get in on some of that recurring revenue business? And you can have maybe, you know, a, a Kroger account. And you get, you know, priority delivery and the hive will help pick and pack your groceries and send it to you in whatever amount of time that they could promise. I mean, that's ultimately, I think, a great kind of concept. I don't know what the Kroger partnership's gonna look like, but it could look a lot like that. That's it's, fast. Yeah. Well, they're coming up here in the in the US for sure. Awesome. Super interesting stuff, Lauren. Robo, as far as I remember, was one of the first ETFs that really focused on a futuristic kind of technology theme. Uh, yeah. I think it launched in 2013, right? And then it really caught fire between 2016 and 2018. I yeah. think you guys went from like $100 million in assets to $2.5 billion at the peak. But since then, you know, it's kind of slowed down in terms of inflows and in terms of performance. And in a way, ARC has kind of really taken that mantle of, you know, the leader in disruptive technologies and things like that. Do you think Robo has been overshadowed by ARC? And if so, why do you think that is? So I, as far as the way we think about um, the world, love the way that ARC really puts like the great big story out there. It's very aspirational. They've obviously done a phenomenal job with marketing and with raising assets. Um, the way we manage the portfolios and the way we think about the investment side of it, very, very different. So I already kind of touched on the diversification components um, of Robo. Arc's more concentrated, generally speaking. We're much more diversified. We populate. If we, we identify a multi-decade theme and then make sure that all of the subsectors are adequately kind of filled with companies that, that are leading in those, those subsectors where they're going to take innovators and innovative companies and really give those a much higher weighting in the portfolio and maybe not be married so much to like the, this is a long-term story. Let's act, you know, adequately allocate to the whole thing. I don't, it just feels a little bit to me, less cohesive. Um, but we want our investors to not be chasing performance or chasing hot stocks or chasing, you know, buzzy, Companies like Tesla, very innovative, obviously, but um, we want someone that says, I know that this is a long-term multi-decade trend and I'm going to stick with it. And so you kind of mentioned also flows. Um, we were very first to market in this, in the space and, you know, broad robotics and automation, even one of the first thematic funds in the industry. Um but yeah, I mean, assets kind of sat around until 2016. We raised a few hundred million, and then really the performance of the index 
really took off and then some assets moved in. I'll just tell you kind of like the from my side of the business, just looking at our internal data, we have a really robust retail client base that is quite sticky. Probably 25% of the assets in Robo are retail investors right now. And they have really held with us even through this year, which has been a tough year from a performance perspective. So we love that long-term investor that sees the long-term vision. And I don't think that ARC's um, flows have borne that out. I think there was a little bit more like performance-related um, buying, specifically in like ARC K is what I'm thinking of, um, you know, in 2020 and 2021. And then those retail dollars have been a little bit less sticky based on what, at least I, I can kind of tell on my end. I'm glad you brought up those points of differentiation, Lauren. And I should point out that, you know, even in terms of performance, this year, Robo's down 38%, but that's not that much different from the triple Qs, which are down 30%, and it's much better than ARKK, which is down 70%. But clearly, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. But clearly the drawdown in growth stocks in general has impacted Robo as well. Would you say the valuations are cheaper now compared to what they were a year ago? Is it a good value? Oh my God. First of all, yes. <laughs> Let me get to why in a second. Part of the reason that we've held up a lot better this year than some of the other, you know, you mentioned the Qs and RK. Um, my Robo ETF right now is only 45% Infotech by sector classification. And I think that surprises people. We are a full 40% industrials and about just over 10% or 11% healthcare companies. So we're pretty diversified. The drawdown that we've experienced has largely been in multiple compression on that, call it half the index that was tech. And so the the industrial manufacturers, companies like um, Thanuk is a good example. Um, you know, those, those companies, especially that are sitting in Japan, have really been oversold in our opinion. So the industrials were already fairly attractively priced coming into the year, but have gotten cheaper. And then the tech side, which was pretty expensive, really saw a multiple compression. So that those two things kind of balance them out to, to, you know, help us kind of outperform some of the pure tech or the, you know, the more tech focused thematic funds or even the cues. Um, the, um, Oh, what were we talking? What you're gonna have to forgive me. I got excited about talking about oh the, the valuations. Okay, exactly. so the valuation right now. So I think last fall we might have peaked out a forward PE of 36, which felt quite expensive. Um, I don't love running around talking to my clients about taking uh, positions in a fund trading at a 36 multiple today. That has cooled to about 20. I'd have to go actually look at the latest from um, yeah. So I'm just around 20 right now. Um, and I'd rather talk about something at a 20 multiple that historically, and we have a nice almost nine year track record right now should sit around 22. I'm, I'm, I'm beneath my long-term multiple. So that's something really exciting. And then when you pair that with the fact that we still see the companies in Robo having about 35% higher than average sales growth estimated for the next 12 months. There's a lot of opportunity, we think, going forward. Um, Fantastic. Oh, sorry, Stamit. Just one more question on this line. 
Thank you, Lauren. So you mentioned only 45% in information technology. I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that. Yeah. So what would be a good benchmark for Robo? Would it be something like QQQ or something else entirely? Oh my God. Okay. So that really depends on who I'm working with and who I'm speaking with. If you ask Morningstar, Robo is a global SMID fund or global growth because, so then you're starting to look like, do you bench to the ACWI? Um, because the, the fund being that it's thematic in nature owns companies that are leaders in these themes or in these kind of subsectors of the, the, the mega theme that aren't international, that are international, excuse me. So I'm only 45% U.S. equities in robo right now. So I really can't bench to the queues because that's all U.S. Unless I'm talking with an advisor who says I was using the queues for growth. I don't just want to own, you know, the NASDAQ. I want to actually own companies specific to providing automation solutions. And then I'm a great conversation for where he was allocating there. Um, you know, I've got people who I will, it's, it's the most frustrating conversation to get to for my larger allocators. It's like, where do you want to put us? Because I'm going to create tracking error if they're just using broad-based benches and trying to like hug them or they're trying to slot us in as tech or U.S. tech because that's we are truly a little bit of everything. Yeah, I was looking at the top holdings and mm -hmm. I don't recognize any of the names because I haven't really been looking at the robotic space very much. And I'm just wondering, what do these companies do? do that are at like the largest holdings in the fund are like can you give me some examples of what kind of uh what kind of like robotics activities they're involved mm -hmm. in and what they're doing yeah um uh, so I, we just actually did the rebalance so right after our rebalance periods you're gonna have the top holdings with kind of the tightest spread between top to bottom as far as their weighting is concerned. Cognex is the top holding right now. It's about a 187 bips. The bottom of the number 10 of 10, Zebra Technologies, 1.6%. Um, so I'll cherry pick 10 of the ones out of the top 10 that people tend to be real interested in. Intuitive Surgical is very much a leader in surgical robotics. Um, Rockwell Automation providing... Um, like manufacturing robots and building robotic solutions. Same with Crohn's, same with Kiens. Um, service now more on the software automation, software of automation. Um, so honestly, a lot of these names look like we overweighted a little bit, maybe not by design. Some of the actual um, companies more on the industrial robotics and, indu and manufacturing components just glancing at this right now and i'm not too surprised at that because those are some of the cheaper companies um Krohn's german kiens is japanese that those are trading cheap um yeah yep just glancing at it logistics i'm excuse me not logistics automation the um industrials tend to, to be the overweight at the latest rebalance gotcha I mean, at the end of the day, everything needs to, every manufacturing process can be done more efficiently with machines. Um, 
I touched very early in our conversation on labor as the cost of labor continues to go up. And also there is a, a, a noteworthy labor shortage here in the U.S. Um, companies that had been able to manufacture using people are finding that more and more difficult and frankly, more and more expensive. So if they can use machines in their processes, um, they're going to be able to control and make those costs more predictable going forward and also increase their productivity. Um, but there is obviously some amount of lag time between ordering the robotic solution for your manufacturing process and then having that delivered to you and then put on the floor and you actually kind of start up and running. Um, that's why we're excited about companies like Fanuc or Yaskawa because they are making the manufacturing robots or those those robotic solutions to be implemented in the manufacturing process. So they're like the classic, you know, pick pickaxes to the to the miners, if you will. Gotcha, Lauren. A lot of the big developments and advancements we're seeing in robotics have to do with, you know, warehousing, mm -hmm. the industrial sector, logistics, things like that, which are super important. Yes. But I think when it comes to the average person, what really captures their imagination is consumer robotics, like mm -hmm. Elon Musk and Tesla developing a humanoid droid or even <laughs> Amazon buying iRobot. That was pretty big news. Yeah. Do you see anything happening on that front or, or is that kind of application still many years in the future? The humanoid robots, uh, they do demand the lion's share of the attention. I, for people, we like to see ourselves reflected in things, right? Um, so yeah, they do, they do every meeting I have, we got to talk about it. Um, they, the, the humanoid robots are much more present in, um, Japan and Korea, uh, than, than maybe they are here in the U.S. Those Japan's an interesting example. Japan has faced population decline for multiple decades. So they've had to adopt automation technologies because they don't have people to do a lot of job, a lot of people to do a lot of jobs. Um, and so the, the kind of back end automation that we are doing more and more of here in the US, they were really doing decades ago. And I think the next iteration of that is more humanoid or, you know, human facing robots. And um, we'll probably, we're not, we won't probably get there. We will get there. I don't know when that will be more normalized, but we will certainly get there. Um, there are, you know, the, a great example is a restaurant here in Dallas that uses robots um, to bus tables or to bring things out to specific diners. Or there's a Japanese steakhouse near my house that uses a robot in the kitchen to take you know, the kind of finishing ingredients from the back of the kitchen up to the guys who are ready to run those dishes to your table. They don't run around advertising that they use robots in their restaurant, but I happen to be in there and I talk about this all day and I saw it. So I think that's already, we're already socially starting to see more robots around. And then the next thing I suppose will be to make them look more like us, you know, on maybe on a day-to-day -day basis, as opposed to just running these things out when you know, Tesla has a, a big investor day or the Boston Dynamics guys have a new dancing robot, you know, YouTube video or whatever. So we'll get there certainly. And it does, you know, it does create some excitement. For sure. I, I'm a dog lover and I see those, uh, like <laughs> dog, uh, type 
robots that a lot of uh, yeah. the universities are developing. And that totally just intrigues me. Um, I was wondering, though, uh, with, you know, robotics, it is definitely like a huge growth area. What could trip up the industry? I was thinking like something like semiconductors since, you know, they drive these types of things. Yeah. Um, you know, what are the risks of investing in this space? Yeah. Um, so semiconductors are an interesting, obviously the supply chain disruption has been really hard for companies trying to supply automation solutions. The chip shortage we all talked about, but there were shortages of some of the other component parts, some of the other, you know, the smaller pieces of cameras or actuators, um, other more nuanced components of automation solutions the supply chain was disrupted across the board. So that was problematic. Um, some of the manufacturers of these robots that we've talked about already, um, they haven't been able to even meet the orders that have come in. They haven't been able to deliver on those orders and they still have orders coming in. So that has been a backlog for sure. Um, also, as input prices have gone up, um, for those manufacturers, they've got to they've got to, you know contracts to sell these robots at certain prices. That has margins, but it seems like that pressure might be uh, loosening a bit. Um, but it, it's really it's really interesting. I want to talk semiconductors briefly since you mentioned it. Not so much as a risk to investing, but just as kind of like another insight into the industry. It is uh, it, we passed a fifty two billion dollar Chips Act this summer. And that basically is encouraging the domestic uh, production of semiconductors. So we're going to have, I've got to check, it's either seven or 10 new domestic fabs just because of the, you know, because we're going to reshore um, domestic production of chips. I think the number is 10 and that's by 2024. Manufacturing semiconductors is incredibly nuanced and incredibly difficult because they are so small. They Those things have to be manufactured by robots because those areas have to be extremely clean. A single piece of dust can disrupt the whole um, chip. So even by like solving the problem of not having enough semiconductors, we are having to build factories that will be essentially robot manufactured chips. Wow. Um, I just had one last question. You had mentioned, um, you know, things about like labor uh, issues and, you know, labor issues driving up the cost of, you know, producing things in this country. I I was wondering, could how much could robotics kind of like change the shape of like the global workforce at this point? Um, Yeah. It will. It absolutely will. How much? Again, a tough thing to 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 try to like estimate. Um, but it does change the. It does change kind of the needs for the or, or the skill sets needed by the global workforce for sure. Um, you it it does. Automation does eliminate some jobs. Ultimately, the goal is to eliminate the dangerous ones, the difficult, anything rough on the human body, um, even down to making, you know, robotics solutions that are like exoskeletons for, you know, places that humans have to do manufacturing solutions that are rough on your joints and things. Um, 
but it is it is going to remove some of those jobs from needing to be done by people. Um, you will need a more technical workforce. And we're, we're talking a lot about like robotics in manufacturing and logistics. But also, if you think about um, automation solutions can also be software and it can also be using, you know, AI in everyday jobs for um, like more white collar workers, too. So everyone's going to need to be more technologically savvy and everyone's going to need to learn to work with the technology, whether it's a machine and a robot or whether it is, you know, in your computer and the artificial intelligence everyone's going to need to kind of raise raise their game as far as technology um you know comfort and the ability to work within it is concerned and so yeah there are obvious conversations to be had about how you educate re-educate a workforce then obviously we don't want to get into the the policies and the politics of all of that but it is a fact of life and hopefully we're doing better, more meaningful work as people because some of these hard jobs are done by machines. Wow. Um, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a fascinating discussion. Thanks for having me on. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Exchange Traded Fridays. To find all other episodes of the podcast, check out ETF.com or any of the major podcast platforms. Talk with you next week. Lucky Land Slots, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.